everyone, and welcome to COVID Around the World, the podcast dedicated to connecting with Fairfield University's international partners during COVID-19. My name is Diana Motaba, and I'll be your host for today. In this episode, our segment will be focusing on education. The person we'll be speaking with is a current teacher in the Zambian school system who will provide insight into the state of education during the era of COVID. But before we begin, I will give you a brief overview of the country of interest. Zambia is a landlocked country in southern Central Africa, surrounded by the Democratic Republic of Congo to the north, Tanzania to the northeast, Malawi to the east, Mozambique to the southwest, with Zimbabwe, Botswana, and Namibia to the south. Zambia is a country filled with awe-inspiring natural wonders, an abundance of wildlife, huge water bodies, and vast open spaces. Aside from its geography, Zambia hosts some of the most peaceful and welcoming populations in the world. This is not an ad to visit the country, but rather to shed some light on one of the many countries of the world. For a number of reasons, our guest, Mr. David Walima, was unable to appear on the episode, but instead he generously submitted his written responses which will be read out loud by my co-host, Martha Marie Quiblat. Martha, do you mind introducing yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Martha Marie Quiblat. I am a junior majoring in psychology and minoring in health studies. I am very honored to be reading Mr. David Willemann's answers today. Perfect. Thank you, Martha. And with that, I believe we can begin the interview. Martha, can you introduce Mr. Willemann, please? David Willema is a teacher at the Louisa Primary School in, Lu- in, the Lusica cap- in Lusica, the capital city of Zambia. The location of the school is in the Kabangwe area. His specialism is teaching adult and child literacy, and he teaches any grade in primary education. Thank you for introducing him, Martha. So, can you briefly explain the educational structure in Zambia, and are all parents mandated to enroll their children in school? Educational structure in Zambia consists of four stages. The first stage is early childhood education. Every child in Zambia qualifies for early childhood education at the tender age of four years old. That's the entry point. The second stage is primary education, which has classes starting from grade one to grade seven. The third is secondary school education, consisting consisting of classes from grade eight to grade 12. In the secondary school levels, classes are categorized into two segments, the first being grade 8 to 9 and the second being grade 10 to grade 12. Grade 8 to 9 is called the basic level, then 10 to 12, that's the high school level. These grades have three terms of learning in a year. The first term starts from January to March and the second term starts from May to July. Then the third term starts from September to November And at the end of every term, there is a break of one month. The fourth and final stage is college and university. The college and university levels have only two semesters. The first semester starts from January January to June, and the second one starts from July to December. But students in college or university in school of education, studying education, have three terms of learning in a year. They follow the same timetable with early childhood, primary schools, and secondary schools. 
but just to make it more clearly, may I be permitted to explain on the operational system of the same education structure? Of course. Please go ahead. Thank you, Diana. The operating system in the educational structure of Zambia is in this manner. From the entry point of early childhood education to grade 7, tests are conducted at the end of every term to assess the performance of every child. At the end of the year, the child will go to the next grade whether that child passes or fails. The assessment test is just there to access each child's progressive performance in order to determine the subjects in which a child needs more help until the child reaches grade 7. In grade 7, a final examination is conducted in order to qualify, qualify for secondary school. Dropouts are not accepted to go to secondary schools to proceed into grade 8. From grade 8, there is no exam conducted to qualify to grade 9. But in grade 9, an exam is conducted in order to qualify for grade 10. Again, there is no exam to go to grade 11 until the student reaches grade 12. Then in grade 12, a final examination is conducted in order to qualify to go to college or university. Best students are accepted for enrollment in government universities after an application to the university and some of the best students, or the cream, are given bursary to study abroad. Now, coming back to your question of parents if they are mandated to enroll their children in school, yes, Diana, enrolling a child in school is absolute. If a parent doesn't enroll a child in school, then they are reported to the police, victim, support unit, or social welfare. That's an offense. There is a law in place under the Children's Act which also gives a child the right to education in the constitutional law of Zambia. But most people don't know about, the, about that until visited by the law. Every parent has a responsibility to educate their children. Really? Yes, Diana. That, that is what it is. Thank you for your thorough explanation. Your explanation will help our listeners better understand the topic as we move forward in the interview. My next question for you is, is Zambia mostly composed of private schools or schools funded by the government? If we take a look at Zambia, we see more government schools than private. The reason is that private schools are only found in urban areas and their concentration is in Lusaka and the, Cap- and the Copper Belt province. While government schools are both in the urban and rural areas of the country at large. Oh, okay. That's actually very interesting. But again, for our listeners, the question was intended to further clarify the education system in Zambia as the topic will be recycled again at a later time. So, so, during my initial research, I found that despite the gains Zambia has made in terms of increasing access to education, their mission is still greatly plagued by inadequate resources and low progression rates. As a school teacher, what resources did you feel were lacking in your district and thus affecting your work and students? Even though Zambia is a developing country, when technology is introduced and advancing, we have to catch up with time. We are now in the computer area and computer lessons have been introduced in schools as a subject, but we lack enough computers in schools. We don't have enough libraries. We don't have materials for literacy in schools. We lack resource centers and we have few teachers for special education. 
we don't have enough places at secondary school level and most students are unable to meet user fees at tertiary level. That's devastating. But your responses touch upon something that I would like to bring up a little later. So we'll get back to some of your points in a bit. Anyway, as you know, the federal government mandated that all schools close beginning Friday, March 20th, 2020. How do the students and teachers take the news, especially since there was not a definite end to the lockdown? Teachers and students were utterly devastated when they received the news because that was the time when teachers and students were busy preparing for the end-of-term assessment tests. But on the other hand, as you know, in school institutions, there are students who fare well in class and the lazy ones. So for the lazy ones, it was like time to enjoy has come. They were excited, but just as students, there are also two categories of teachers private school teachers, and government school teachers. The government school teachers received the news with excitement because to them it was like no work but still get paid. But to the private school teachers, the news was a grievous blow because they know their livelihood was cut off. So when the school closed, how were the students learning? Was it online or through printed work packets sent home? At first, students were not learning, but after two months, examination classes were allowed to go back to school, and then the government introduced an e-learning free channel television program for grade one, grade 1 to grade 12 through DSTV and GoTV. But despite this measure taken by the government, those benefiting are learners in urban areas because in rural areas, online facilities are non-existent. This digital method is facing a lot of changes, challenges for the majority of learners because it's an expensive means of learning. For one, to be able to access the lessons, you should have a TV, you should buy a decoder and pay for electricity, and on top of that, we have electricity problems in Zambia. The main sources of electricity is the Zambezi River. There has not been enough rain for the past five years as a result of climate change. The Kariba Dam has a low water level to generate enough domestic and industrial electricity for the mines. For that reason, we are experiencing electricity rationing. What happens is, most of the time, when the TV lesson is supposed to run, there is no electricity at that particular time in that area. Maybe for two days or maybe power will come in the night and early in the morning, power is cut, cut again. Another challenge is children's dedication to the program. It has been observed that a lot of learners don't have an interest in the program, especially learners at primary school level and some of the learners at secondary school level. They don't have time to attend lessons on TV but have time to watch cartoons. Other films of their interest is other films of their interest and to play. They are not self-supervised. They need to be compelled by their parents, which is done by few parents, and if any, but as for students at tertiary level, they are learning online through laptops and smartphones. The government actually commissioned television programs when they closed schools? Yes, they were actually trying to keep students learning, but also keep jobs too. It's funny because that reminds me of an article I read in the New York Times called Imagine online school in a language 
You Don't Understand by Rikha Shorma Arani. I hope I'm saying that right. The article is about the impact of school closures on immigrant communities, especially where the parents speak little to no English. In one of the states here in the U.S., in Nebraska, a school district began airing their classes on local public stations, and some of them in Spanish as well. Of course, that only worked for the school district that had money to do so to do some of these things. Sorry, the lower income communities were left without help, and some of them did their assignments on cell phones because they didn't have Wi-Fi at home, and if their parents didn't have Wi-Fi. They didn't send in anything. I know it's completely different from electricity rationing, but the difficulties were felt all across the board. Sounds like an interesting article. Thank you for explaining that. No problem. I can send you the link after we're finished. Yes, please. Of course. We can now move on. Bear with me. This would be a loaded question. To my earlier point about the lack of resources... In your opinion, who are the students most affected by the lockdown? Do you believe that students who attend private schools will fare better than those of government-funded schools? In other words, do you believe the economic difference between the students enrolled in private schools versus government-funded will have a better chance at surviving the lockdown? And as much as we are all affected by the lockdown... TV Learning Program as well caters for both government and private school students. So at this juncture, we can't talk about the economic difference affecting the elite and the poor in the connection to surviving the lockdown educationally. We are all hit by the lockdown and a measure of learning has been uniformly put in place. It's just a matter of tapping from this source. But since this olive branch has not been extended to the rural areas, the most affected students are those in the rural areas, and as for those classes which have opened, odds are that private school students may perform better than government school students, and the reason is that private schools provide materials to individual learners. Apart from that, private school learners spend more time in schools compared to their counterparts in government schools, and Economically, private schools attract elite communities, while government school, government school learners are usually coming from the poor community. I keep making these comparisons because it's vital to understand the impact of COVID by making comparisons. So when you brought up the argument about public versus private schools, it's actually the same argument that has been going on here in the States as well. Are private schools better than public or suburban versus inner city schools. It seems as though COVID has just brought that argument to the forefront in many communities around the world. It really has, and it will continue for a long time. As you know, the lockdown did not just affect schools, but businesses were mandated to close as well. Those same businesses are how some children pay for school fees, books, uniforms, etc. Some business owners might not reopen as they use their capital to eat daily and thus losing the money they had to enroll their children in school. Do you think the lockdown will affect school enrollment rates? Yes, Diana. Without doubt, the lockdown is going to have an impact on school enrollment rate as you are alluding to. 
the loss of business which supports education is very vital for many kids, especially those middle class and lower income families. My niece actually teaches in a government school and she worries for some of her students as well. I also think that some private schools might close due to lack of operational funds. Hmm. Zambia began easing the lockdown on June 1st, with only students taking the exams being allowed back into physical classrooms. A month later, on June 1st, the higher education minister, Dr. Brian Mushimba, said that universities would be allowed to open. In an interview with University World News Africa edition, he said, quote, It appears COVID-19 is here for a long time, so we need to embrace the new normal. Our policy on education in this time of COVID-19 is that online learning will continue to be used as an integral part of the learning process for graduating students and those in other years, end quote. It is safe to say that his optimism was not matched by university students and faculty, with many complaining that the universities are overcapacitated unable to imp- and unable to implement some of the WHO's coronavirus guidelines. Some people are saying that schools should remain closed until the country and education system can find a way to bring back the students safely. So my question all that is, do you agree with the statements of Dr. Mushimba's critics? Yes, I agree with the statements and also with the optimism of Dr. Mushima. Both mean well, but I believe that either way we will lose something, be it education or people. I also think that the government has a lot to learn from this pandemic about managing institutions and the country in general. It will be a wake-up call to many people, especially politicians. Do you think schools will be able to get back on track after everything, or was it two months out of school proving to be too much on the school and students? The fact that other schools have not opened, then the lockdown on education still partially exists. The two months shall pass into other months because we don't know when schools are opening. Rumor has it that we may open in January next year, depending on the COVID case record. Therefore, as we waste time, I don't think schools will get back on track because of now. As of now, the syllabus has already been affected and the substituted learning method is partial and unable to compromise with the syllabus. So if the Ministry of Education created a special calendar or special exemptions, for example, um, taking away at least one break or shortening it to two month, two weeks or so. You don't think they will, do you think they will be able to get back on track with those? It might, or it may not. Um, it depends on a lot of things. Like what? If teachers will come back, if students will come back, if schools will remain open, or more importantly, if the pandemic will ever end. It's been four or five months since closing and the ministry will have to see where the students are in their education especially because of the rationing can you um, further explain what you mean by saying for example national placement testing how many of the students actually heard the broadcast or 
even did their work. I'm sure it's the same in the U.S. Not all parents care so much about education that they force their kids to sit down each day, and that is another impact as well. Hmm. As stated earlier, enrollment rates might be affected, but do you see any other long-term effects of the lockdown on education? Yes, the fact that school keeps the students busy from useless habits, we expect to see some long-term effects in education. These include drug abuse, pregnancies, and crimes. It's very easy for children to start doing bad things because they need to fill their time. Also, some children will have no parents to support their education because of death or abandonment. The pandemic will affect many things. The World Health Organization has not declared the pandemic over. In the case of another global outbreak, hope not, has the government or even your school administrators produced a plan about that possibility? Another outbreak possibility measure plan has not yet been produced by my school and the government has not yet announced any plan so far. Hmm. I don't think anyone wants to put that into mind. But how has your experience as an educator and mentor been during this pandemic? The experience has been full of experiments and anxiety, not knowing what comes next and feeling bad for those who do not adhere to the health regulations. You feel as if you force them to stick to the health regulations in order to bring the chain of the pandemic to a halt. Hmm. Um, I'm sorry about your anxiety. My last question for you, and I hope it ends on a positive note, is what advice would you like to give people during this unprecedented time? My advice to everybody on earth is that there is God who created heavens and earth and all what is in heaven and on this earth came into existence because of his will. Put God the creator first, for God has allowed this pandemic to happen for a purpose. God is the one who is going to bring it to an end at his own time. Having said this, I say please take care of yourself because God only gives wisdom for your survival. If you want to survive this pandemic, pandemic, adhere to WHO health regulations, then the change will gradually start breaking to a halt. This is the most effective remedy to overcome this pandemic. Do not be careless and do not wait to get sick, to prevent getting sick. And that brings us to the end of our interview portion. Thank you, Mr. Walima, for taking the time to speak with us today. All your work has been greatly appreciated. Thank you very much, Diana, for having me as your guest. Thank you, Martha, for helping me record this again. No problem. It was a pleasure. Thank you to all the listeners and support from the International Studies Program for making this happen. But please continue to subscribe and watch the next exciting episode lined up for you. Have a good day.